Hello and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. We talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning here. Courtney is not with me, but she'll join with me shortly. Today we have a special treat for you today. We have an interview with Dan Meyer. And I'm sure all of you are aware who Dan is. He is currently the Chief Academic Officer at Desmos. And what we talk about today are some things about how personalized learning works in math. We talk about proficiency. We talk about programs. Uh, we talk a little bit at the end about what Dan wants to do while he's at Desmos and changing the way math instruction is looked at across the country. So we start a bit abruptly. I ask him who he is and what he is. So let's just start right now. Dan, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I taught high school math for six years to a lot of students who did not like high school math. Students who are on their second or third trip through algebra at the ninth grade, um, 10th grade. And um, then I uh, studied education technology uh, and the intersection of math education uh, at Stanford. And since then, I've worked at a math ed tech startup called Desmos, where we explore the future of math in a computer-enabled classroom. So we talk a lot about personalized learning, and I've read some of your uh, blogs and articles about personalized learning, and you define them as a couple of non-negotiable things. Uh, The first is using competency-based grading, and that technology should play some part in helping students learn at their own pace. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by both of those things? Yeah, sure. I think I'll feel free to edit my past self in some ways here. Um, so I think it's, it's probably worth us like describing the ideals that personalized learning aspires to and then thinking about like what it looks like in practice and what tools um, it, it then necessitates. So for instance, I would say that pers- the goals of personalized learning that I think we all could agree on, I would hope is that students would feel adequately challenged and engaged and successful at levels that are appropriate to them. This is the the ideal that I hear a lot spoken of. Um, the reality on the ground, however, uh, in classes that aspire to that ideal, um, they wind up having a, encountering a few challenges that I've, that I've seen. Um, one is the need for giving students feedback on where they are in their process towards learning. Um, and the other is how to manage a class of 30 to 40 students that all have these different kinds of needs. And how institutions, teachers, administrators all react to those logistical needs are varied and very interesting. And um, some of them involve some really targeted interventions at the level of pedagogy where teachers learn some different kinds of ways of working with a a, a class of of varied and diverse learners. And the other um, is an investment in technology is what I've noticed, um, where technology comes in to um, try to manage uh, that diversity of needs. And it's in that second model where I think we we see a lot of um, personalized learning that that ought to um, horrify us basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we, we agree with that. It's the technology can't, um, can't replace the teacher and it can't replace social interaction and it can't replace some of that, those uh, important skills needed for building, you know, the cognitive understanding of concepts, uh, any content, math or otherwise. What do you think are some of the strategies that you have seen that do work when you're talking about like the districts that go with the um, kind of targeted professional development for teachers around strategies? What kinds of things do you see out there that are helpful? Yeah, great question. It's, a, it's an investment in um, upgrading teachers pedagogy and, and upgrading curriculum. Basically, the curriculum needs to um, include tasks that honor 
celebrate and build on student thinking um, wherever that's at within a pretty wide range. So tasks that don't just ask students to um, calculate quickly and accurately with memorized procedures, but instead lean on other kinds of mathematical skills like argumentation, like noticing, like wondering, like estimating, um, like comparing two different things. Um, skills that allow students of all kinds a route into uh, more sophisticated mathematical learning. That's the upgrade in curriculum. And the upgrade in pedagogy and teaching is to help teachers know what to do with that, that kind of resource that students are offering. With those kinds of tasks, students come into the, the classroom and they're offering an enormous amount of cultural knowledge, contextual knowledge, uh, uh, early mathematical knowledge. And so the teacher needs to know how to take two different student ideas that contrast in a productive way, put those in front of the class and say, how are these the same? How are they different? And use those conversations to build towards, again, more sophisticated learning. That's, that's the, the brief version of what the upgrade in curriculum and pedagogy ought to look like there. Mm. It sounds a lot like um, what happens with the idea of number talks or you know, math talk in, in the class. Um, that's a great example uh, of an emphasis, not just on calculating quickly and accurately memorized right. procedures, but to say like here, here is, um, you know, a, a, an expression, a multiplication problem. Um, let's, let's value the different ways that students um, uh, approach this kind of task. It's, it's also at early grades, it's the cognitively guided uh, instruction um, research where students are given problems in a particular, let's call it personalized sequence um, that aspire to challenge them where they are at and to help them bring their, their earlier methods, like say directly counting one by one by one by one by one, right. putting them in a place where they can see like, oh, this would be easier if I group things by 10 or if I looked for some patterns uh, in, in the numbers. Um, those are the, Again, those are moves that are, are pedagogical in nature. Those are curricular in nature. Yeah. Um, and the technology just like it, when technology the, the technological solution as I think we are all here alluding to but probably ought to be like nailed down specifically what we're talking about what I'm talking about anyway yeah. is where students are asked those very narrow operational problems that computers are not because they're good but because computers are um, well equipped to evaluate them um, and then when students aren't successful there rather than um, celebrating them building on early student knowledge, we say, all right, you should go watch an adult talk on a video mm -hmm. about how to solve that very narrow kind of problem. Mm -hmm. And the results, there's like loads of negative results here, um, ranging from lower math proficiency to, I think just as seriously, um, students' sense of what math is and who they are as learners is, is yes. very diminished when they have this idea like, oh, I gotta wait for an adult to tell me a thing. I, I don't have good ideas that I came into class with right now. Um, and, and like we saw in, the, in the, the Gates personalized learning study, which I'm sure you folks are familiar with, that um, students or schools that implemented this model of professional learning, or personalized learning rather, um, uh, they saw lower results from students in their student sense of belonging in their schools. Right. And a lot of the soft social measures, um, students were less in those, in those institutions than they were in schools that had not adopted that model of personalized learning, which I think is, we ought to, ought to concern all of us. Like, um, you know, do we want to raise students that have like this, this particular narrow definition of math who also feel detached and isolated from the students and leaders in their own, and the adults in their institutions. So how do you define math? How I define math? Yeah, um, what is math? Okay. Math is a sophisticated form of noticing. Um, noticing and naming things. Um, 
<laughs> that's, that's a huge one, a uh, huge question there that you just drop on a person. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big deal. I'm going to have a different answer in 20 minutes and feel really mad, mad at myself. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot lately about um, gollygons. If I okay. that a polygon is like a, a, a shape, a closed shape uh, made up of line segments. Uh, a gollygon is a, a, a polygon that has um, sides that increase by one in number. So like ah, okay. one, two, yeah. side lengths are one, two, you can look this yeah. up. Anyway, I, <laughs> here's the deal is that a gollygon was like named, noticed and named by someone named Lee Sallows. Not like noticed and named by, I don't know, uh, Brahmagupta in like whatever century Brahmagupta lived in. You know, right, it's like right. this happened in the 70s, you know, and someone yeah. noticed it and put a name on it. And, uh, and now it's like in Wikipedia, that's just, that's what math is uh, for me. Uh, what I, what I think about, I think about what math is, and what's cool about this definition that math is sophisticated, increasingly sophisticated noticing and naming, is that that's available to every single student. Like every single student, like my children are very young and they are noticing and naming things constantly. Yeah. Um, and that, that is not to say that we want them to stay at a, at a, we want them to grow in their sophistication. So I'm not saying like just, just living in this realm where uh, we notice and name in kind of blunt terms right. is good but it offers us a trajectory that math is a series of operations you perform accurately and quickly with mem through memorization just does not offer us that, mm -hmm. that kind of ramp. Right. So I'm working with elementary schools right now about trying to figure out, like you just said, what is math? And trying to lead them through a process of like, okay, what are we looking for for our kids? And they're looking for a program to make, fit those needs. And, and my guess is there's not going to be a program that fit those needs because I don't really believe in programs. Uh, kids are all over the place and we need to, to nurture where they are in math. You, you mentioned before about meeting kids where they are. And if that is what our teachers believe in, why don't we find the professional development and the resources to, to work on that? But I'm somebody who believes in that already, trying to try to push them to the edge, as it were. 99% uh, of the country buys a Glencoe book or a Pearson book, and that's what they think math is. This is the one way you teach it. What, what are your thoughts on that? And how can we improve on that, not just individual school districts, but, but as a country in the way we teach math? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that if we, if part of um, the goal of math class was to like define math from scratch, we would not then um, purchasing a predefined curriculum resource would work against that goal. Um, I, that's not my goal. I think that there, there, like mathematics does have some canonical ideas that we should uh, expose students to that they should learn while also honoring the kind of ideas that they bring into class and the ways they might notice and name in their own like culturally determined or just like idiosyncratic and cool kind of ways. We do have this canon. There is like, a, there are standards that we've decided as a country or as states um, rather that are important. Um, so in that world, I, I, we should like absolutely argue about what kind of standards we require students to learn. But once those are determined, um, we should say, okay, what are the resources that would be helpful for teachers um, that would support them in these kinds of pedagogical moves we've described? Like a lot of curriculum does not make room for lots of students' kinds of thinking. And so, therefore, you don't need the kind of advanced pedagogy we're talking about here. We need resources that expand what mathematics, what, what is defined as mathematics, not just the calculations, but also the estimations, the early knowledge, and that sort of thing. So I, I'm, I, I don't want teachers to shoulder the burden of creating content and curriculum that does that. 
personally. Mm-hmm. They, like, they're, they're, like I'm working with my team right now at Desmos, making this comprehensive middle school curriculum. And we just know how much work and effort and time and, and money is going into creating these experiences that then enable teachers to do the stuff we've been talking, here, talking about here. I want them focused on developing those capacities, um, not on creating curricular resources. So one of the one of the questions as a follow up there is first of all thank you for creating some middle school stuff because that is where a lot of our teachers are struggling but in my experience it also starts at the elementary level and in a general sense elementary teachers are not strong math people uh, they're they're extremely good at uh, teaching kids how to read and write but math is not really their thing. And so I'm seeing, I see a lot of different uh, worksheets and calculations and algorithms that, that kids walk through. And by the time they get to middle school or high school, they think math is just a bunch of worksheets that you have to solve problems on and get the right answer. Uh, what do you have? Do you have suggestions for what uh, different ways to teach elementary kids? I know Courtney mentioned like number talks earlier, and, and those are things that, that we've worked on. But if you don't have that PD in your district, I, I haven't seen any books that really work on that as far as programs go, which again are 98% of the world. What, what do you have for some suggestions for our elementary teachers out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just want to like be really precise about, or try to be more precise about what it is we're describing when we talk about the challenge of teaching elementary mathematics, which include, like then includes like other content areas across elementary. Um, also, we like precisely define the problem because I also don't want to, as a secondary teacher formally, I don't want to come across as condescending at all to right. elementary teachers. Um, it's not that they like aren't math people. I think that we really need to be clear that everyone has the capacity for mathematical thought. And part of the challenge here is to define, like if we ex- accept the premise, which is well-researched, that everyone has the capacity for mathematical thought, then the challenge is how can we identify it when we see it and name it and celebrate it and build on it. And so in that, in that, in that regard, I just want to like call out like we're, we all have mathematical potential, especially students, but also teachers. Um, the challenge of elementary instruction, in case it needs to be said, is that they also need to be able to identify, celebrate, and build on the thinking in other kinds of content areas as well. And um, it's, just, it's just true that the more mathematics that one knows, the better one is able to identify brilliant student thought at every level and celebrate it and build on it in the same way that like, I don't know, my, my mom is a birder. I don't know birds. Like I see a bird and I say bird, she sees a bird, she's a, that's a, a Northeastern whatever, you know? And so like, her, this is like, she is able to, because of her knowledge, celebrate and build, like she's able to identify things that I cannot. So in the same way, we need to have um, regular pedagogical interventions with elementary teachers that build their capacity to notice student, brilliant student thinking at levels, at, at a range of sophistication. And so a couple of ways to do that um, are these. One um, is to, uh, on a regular basis at department meetings or whatever else, um, to invite teachers to share um, with a group of people an example of brilliant student thought that surprised them. Like a student that like they, they are learning, they are learning to identify the brilliance of a student that they might not have thought like had that kind of capacity. Um, as, a, as a means to like challenge their existing ideas about who can be smart, especially in um, given like well-known biases um, towards around sex, race, gender also, um, as a way of countering those. Um, and also as, as a way of helping each other n- uh, uh, learn what it looks like to be brilliant in math, whether that's like a different kind of algorithm in number talks or a different way of seeing the structure and, you know, counting dots, that sort of thing. 
Um, another is to take curriculum, another exercise, just like push-ups, is to take curriculum um, that you're assigned, curriculum that might, um, that might not offer enough room for students to demonstrate their brilliance, um, and to perform the exercise where you cover up a part of that problem. And for folks who have seen my, uh, my TEDx talk, um, why math class needs a makeover, you'll recognize this immediately. It's, it's where um, on paper, a problem has to be pretty well nailed down and all possible ways of students might understand this in varied ways need to be narrowed down so we can all get to the answers in the back of the book. But if we as teachers say, ah, I'm not made of paper, that's not, I don't have to play by those rules. And I can like introduce this problem in stages. And first, it's just the contextual layer of the problem. Uh, so we, we remove all the, num the num numerical layer of the problem and instead um, invite students to think contextually about this. What information might be helpful for this question? What questions do you have about this context even before that? Um, the exercise here is to take a problem and then just erase some stuff temporarily, not permanently, but temporarily and see what kinds of thinking it allows students to offer um, how it redefines mathematics. Those are just two exercises, can be done in groups. Um, don't, they don't take days uh, of, a, of a, a PD session, let's say just a, a few minutes out of a departmental or PLC kind of meeting. Those are awesome ideas. I really like that. Anytime we take student work and look at it and look for you know, the gems, the good, the strengths, and the innovative thinking, I think is extremely powerful for teachers. And that idea of taking the standard curriculum or the standard program that's handed to you and then looking at it and saying, how do we, how do we change this to allow for broader thought and innovative thinking in our classrooms? I think that's very freeing to teachers who feel perhaps like they have to follow what's given to them, right? Right. Um, and then giving that kind of, and just the idea that doing it in small bursts over time is really reinforcing for the teacher's learning also. I could see how that, those two things could really change the, the feeling of mathematics instruction in a building pretty quickly. Yeah, we have two modes, right? It's like you either use your prescribed curriculum or you build everything from scratch. It's right. kind of the two, like the two yeah. dominant ideas here. And this is a, this is a third option, um, which it regards the curriculum as a resource, but not one that needs to be followed you know, to the letter. That is exactly how I'm trying to introduce this to, to my teachers and for the kids, because they know that every kid is in a different place and every kid learns a little bit differently, which evolves to the next step of the, we need to do school perhaps differently to meet the needs of kids, uh, which is separate from what we're talking about today. But uh, I really think that it leads into some bigger questions about the ways we do school instead of the limitations that we do school with, uh, with schedule and uh, age-based grouping. Uh, there are different ways to do it to meet the needs of these kids and curriculum, the, thinking about curriculum in a different way is just one of those ways to do something a little bit different for kids. Mm. So can I, I want to ask you kind of, a, maybe it's more of a personal question, but not, but at what point in your development as a math teacher and a mathematician, did you kind of come across this aha moment that you needed to change things and not just use the book with everything laid out. Um, like what happened? What, what made that shift for you? Because it's clearly very passionate. It's a place of passion that you come from and very strong conviction about um, how math instruction could be and should be. And so like, where, how did that happen for you? 
Um, yeah, interesting question. Um, so I, I just think that I, I've, I've loved math. I've seen math as a, I've, I've felt stupid in math classes before. My eighth grade math class was delivered by videotape, by VHS cassette. Um, <laughs> I'm 37 and I date myself precisely. And um, I've also like really loved math class. Like I had a very, very, very good high school math education. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's like anything you love and you recommend it to someone, you're like, oh, I hope they love it. I hope, yeah. I hope they love this too, you know? And if they don't, it's like, well, am I weird? You know, did I, did I miss this? <laughs> I'm not weird. I, I know I'm not weird. <laughs> um, so anyway, just, yeah, this, uh, so that's just like my general orientation towards things that I love is I want other people mm -hmm. to love them too, or at least see what I love about them and say, ah, not for me versus, yeah. um, consider this something that is not and make your their opinion about that so um and it, that that impulse became all the, the more urgent um when i'm given 180 days of 150 students lives like 180 hours rather um like that's just an enormous weight that i never was it just i, I had a hard time processing that um and so i, I took that as an enormous mandate to like figure out like i, I want to make sure that what I love about this is being well represented for you, the student. You can make your call as all of us do, like this is not for me mm. later, um, but it wasn't happening through the, the resources that I had. Um, yeah. so that, that was the fuel that drove a lot of interventions, some of which were ineffective. And um, the one that was, I found the most effective was to um, treat math as though it was a story and to use the, the tools and skills that I had developed as kind of a amateur storyteller through video, through yeah. film and video to create new resources for students. So as we wrap up here, Dan, you've given us, you've given us a lot to think about, obviously, uh, and thank you for your time. Um, so to, to finish up here, with your work at Desmos, what are the three outcomes that you're looking to do over the next few years, or maybe for your career? Uh, what, are the, what are the big three things that, that you want to accomplish? Yeah, so I've got three particular goals for my professional work right now, which is, um, that students would come to understand that math is power, that they would understand that math, that that power makes sense, and that they would understand that um, they already have some of that power. So just like running that back real quick, just like that math is power, that math is power in the world, it can be power to um, change social circumstances, that ability to analyze the world numerically and quantitatively offers us understanding you just don't have without that power. Um, also, that we invented eighth grade math to resolve the limitations of seventh grade math, not because we needed a place to put students when they went from seventh to eighth grade. That we invent new, more sophisticated mathematics to resolve the limitations of older, less sophisticated mathematics. That's, that's what we try to do at Desmos is create those kinds of experiences for students like, oh, wow, like graphs are really useful. Like tables are good for some stuff, but like, they, like a table with all these points in it would really be bad. Mm. That's the first thing. And then the idea that the, that stuff makes sense um, is just basically to say, I don't want to step in front of students or empower teachers to step in front of students and say, just, just go with this. Okay. Just, I, I know this makes no sense, but just like just follow the steps and you'll get the right answer. And we'll like, we'll all be happy. Um, that, that to me is not part of my goal. Uh, my goal is that students would see like, Oh, this stuff makes sense. And the last part is, um, and uh, the last part of this, that students would understand that they already have that power um, is an evolving part of my work. And, I rely a lot, like I rely on a lot on mentors online um, who are helping me understand that I have 
biases and prejudices that see, as a teacher, that see some students as not having particular kinds of power, not having that kind of sense already, and, and more in need of um, my intervention, uh, particularly ar around girls and people of color. Like I've got some biases there that I'm working on, and I want to empower teachers to also think about those biases, address them, and to then put students in a place to realize that like your, like your cultural experience or your home knowledge, like what you come into class in kindergarten with, you have knowledge of quantity, you have uh, knowledge of the ordering of numbers um, that is valuable, that we should celebrate that and build on that, that every student has that power to some degree already. It might need to be honed or I could help develop that, but you are a brilliant individual. I'm so happy to be here with you and, and work with your brilliance um, is the kind of, I, I just, like school, I, I love Rochelle Gutierrez's um, ideas around rehumanizing mathematics, where she identifies in lots of ways that school math is a very dehumanizing space where to be successful, you've got to just like shut parts of your humanity and home context down. I, I, I just want to be a part of a different model that, that vitalizes mathematics, that honors what students bring to the table, particularly for students uh, who have been, like more students uh, of color are dehumanized more often by teachers in schools um, than students from dominant cultures. I want to be a part of changing that. Those are my goals, three of them. Dan Meyer, thank you very much for your time today. It was a pleasure, folks. Until next time. Thank you. We're just now.